0: Oh, oh,
1: Good evening there kiddos It's October 7th, 2023 It's Saturday Lily Congratulations On your cross country season And Gideon Chrissy, Sonia, Garrison You guys are the best Cross country fans out there And of course mommy And me too when I'm at home uh, i Enjoyed going to your cross country races this fall, the ones I got to go to, and yeah, I uh, that that was a lot of fun. I hope you had fun, and yeah, so congratulations, Lil. Really happy for you. Um, let's get to reading, okay? What what are we gonna do here? We're gonna read. John chapter 4. And we're going to read it. We're going to read the ESV. This is a story. Oh, I'll just read it. I'm not going to start doing commentary. It'll I'll be here forever. So, I will read it and the Holy Spirit will help you, help lead you into all truth. And highlight things that he wants you to be aware of. And learn and understand. But feel free to ask questions. Ask mommy or ask me. Or talk about it. You guys should talk about this stuff too. Alright John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard. That Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself "'did not baptize, but only his disciples. "'He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, "'and he had to pass through Samaria. "'So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, "'near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. "'Jacob's well was there. "'So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey,' was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is about noon by our standards. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, Sir, you have excuse me Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir i perceive that you are a prophet our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you say that in jerusalem you you say that in jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship jesus said to her woman believe me the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in jerusalem will you worship the father you worship what you do not know The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Okay, and that is the end of... Of John chapter 4. Okay, we are on chapter 6 of our book, Kingdom's Hope by Chuck Black. Moving right along, I'm going to keep cruising. Chapter 6 is called Camelot Years. In the Chessington Valley, the people prospered, the land was fertile, the skies were blue, and the future was promising. A small river flowed through the valley and into the Great Sea to the south. Forested hills bordered the valley to the east and to the west. The countryside was picturesque. It took some time at first to establish a community with farms, ranches, shops, and trade centers. But within a few years, the city of Chessington was thriving and growing. Leonid kept the people true to the code and taught them to love and serve the king. He reminded them of how the king had delivered them out of Pharaoh's hand and brought them to this prosperous land. Leonid was preoccupied with community affairs, something he had grown to dislike. At the age of 22, he did not feel comfortable as a leader of the people, and he came to rely heavily on Quinn, Tess, and Audrey to help govern them. When time permitted, he instructed Quinn and Audric in the art of swordsmanship, which they learned quickly. Though life for the people was good, it was not without some turmoil. Occasionally, thieves and marauders found opportunity to plunder the city and the surrounding farms. The people wanted protection, and they wanted a king. We know that the king is our true king, But we need a king so we can see and who lives with us daily. One man said at a meeting at the city square. Yes, another said, these marauders will continue to take from us until we can show them that we are strong enough to fight them. We need a king to do that. Shouts of affirmation rose up from the assembly. Leonad was disappointed and concerned. There is only one king in are. Leonad said to establish another would be blasphemous. Then call him a lord instead. The man replied, "You be our Lord, and we will build a castle for you. Another man shouted, "Give us an army of knights that will protect us forever. No. Leonid shouted, "I will not be a lord to rule over you. That is not what the king called me to do." Then name another, or we will choose one ourselves. Leonid's heart was heavy, for he knew he could not persuade the people. He called for a meeting, for the meeting to adjourn. Then mounted freedom and rode into the hills to find solitude and time to think. With the exception of Tess, Leonid found the towering, peaceful trees to be his preferred companions. They did not argue, complain, request, or petition him. They patiently waited for him and listened. He dismounted and led freedom roam, and let freedom roam to find green grass to feed upon. The people are foolish indeed, my king he said aloud. They ask for, the, for a lord. What am I supposed to do? Give them one, a familiar voice replied. Leon had nearly jumped out of his skin at the sound of it. He turned around and smiled broadly. "Gabrick," He ran and embraced his friend from long ago. Well, you've certainly grown up since I saw you last. Gabrick said, almost smiling. "'Leonard realized that he had changed significantly "'since he'd last seen Gabrick. "'The tender edges of his youthful face had been replaced "'by the hard lines of a mature young man. "'Leonard was now at the pinnacle of his physical form. "'It is good to see you, Gabrick. "'Where have you been? "'Tell me what adventures you have lived over the past years.' "'The war with the Dark Knight is fierce, Leonad,' "'Gabric said soberly. "'His desire to rule this kingdom is great. "'My duty lies in that war, "'but I have been sent to give you a message.'" "'From the king?' Leonad asked. "'Yes, he knows the heart of the people. "'Give them a lord to rule over them.'" "'Who? Surely not I.'" I will not be a source of contention with the king. There is one who can rule the people, Gabrik said in a way that questioned Leonad. Quinn? Yes, let Quinn rule the people, but you must keep him loyal and true, Gabrik said. Quinn is well suited for the task, Gabrik, but I know. That this is not what the king truly desires for his people. You are right, this is not the king's way, but he will grant their request, Gabric said. Perhaps when they have a lord to rule over them, they will come to understand the perfect ways of the king. Leonad thought for a moment and then took a deep breath. I am relieved and grateful to give this burden to Quinn. He's a very good man. I will help him and do my best to keep him true to the king and to the code. Leonad and Gabrick enjoyed a few moments together before departing. Leonad called for freedom and rode back to Chessington. The people will be pleased, he thought, but will it last? The people were indeed pleased. For they loved Quinn. He possessed all the qualities of a leader. He was not a good leader. He was a great leader. Leonad was cautiously optimistic. He had always known that Quinn's heart was good and that he desired to serve the king. But he knew that power and authority often changed a man, even a good man. The people built a splendid palace for Quinn near the city square, and he raised an army of knights to protect Chessington from the bandits and marauders. They became known as the Knights of Chessington. Only the strongest, most honorable, and most skilled men were chosen. Quinn organized tournaments in the square to help select these gallant men, gallant men, and he implored Leonad to train them with the sword. Soon the threat of marauders was eliminated, and Chessington became known throughout the land as a city of wealth and power. It was a golden era for the people. Quinn has done well, Tess said one day as she rode beside Leonad on her horse. Leonad smiled. He certainly has. Leonard and Tess's friendship had continued to grow over the years, and Tess was now a young woman of 18. The freckles of her youth had been replaced by a smooth, slightly tanned complexion. Her strawberry-blonde hair was now darker, and she wore it long and in a single braid that hung halfway down her back. The posture that Peyton had taught her to maintain as a child was a constant companion to her form. Though her body was strong and fit, she was still a woman. Leonid loved the time they spent together. Tess had never had the mentoring of a mother, and the softer edges of womanhood were not a natural part of her life. She was beautiful, but her beauty was somewhat masked by the roles she played as advisor, leader, and fellow warrior. Leonard saw her only as a kindred spirit. He never had the luxury or the time to explore a romantic relationship, and such a relationship with Tess would feel extremely awkward now. When are you going to get serious about training me with a sword? She asked. Leonad looked at her quizzically. I have trained you as I have trained the others. You're quite good, too. Better than any other ladies I know of. There are no other ladies that sword fight, and you know it. Leonad smiled. I suppose you're right. So what's your point? I want to become better than any men you know of. I want to become a master like you. Leonid stopped his horse and studied Tess's face to see if there was any jest in her countenance. He found none. Leonid so enjoyed Tess because she never quit surprising him. Are you serious, sunshine? he asked. She looked straight into his eyes, as serious as a dragomoth. Yes, I believe you are. We shall begin training you seriously right now. And so, beginning that very day, and for many days that followed, Leonid gave Tess intense training in the solitude of the forested hills. Their preferred training area was at the river, where the sounds of a nearby waterfall mixed with the rhythmic clang of their swords. Tess learned quickly and Leonad was amazed at her aptitude for the most difficult maneuvers. It would take time, but she was the best student he'd ever had. Leonad and Tess were frequent guests at Quinn's palace. Over the following months, Quinn began courting a wealthy lady from another city. The people were pleased, and soon the invitations were sent for a wedding ball to be held in the great palace hall. The week prior to the wedding was full of festival and celebration. Lady Moradiah brought fifty of her personal knights with her to Chessington, as well as many attendants and friends. Leonad rejoiced with his friend. But something disquieted his spirit, and he was reserved in his participation at the festivities. Though celebration was in the air, Leonad's heart became heavy. "'My dear friend, Leonid!' Quinn exclaimed as Leonad entered the Great Hall during the final preparations. They embraced for a moment. "'It's good to see you, Quinn,' Leonid said." with as much smile as he could muster. And you, are you enjoying the celebrations? Of course. It looks like your wedding will be the event of the decade. Quinn. Leonid hesitated. I know that look, Leonad. Tell me what's on your mind. Quinn put his arm around Leonid and pulled him into a walk down the great hall. Tomorrow was the day, and the hall was decorated with vibrantly colored banners, flowers, and greenery. Tables were being prepared with regal cloths and ornate centerpieces. Does Moradiah have a heart for the king? Leonette asked. Of course she does, Quinn said with a broad smile. No, no. He stopped and spoke to a servant. The musical instruments will be over there. Move that table and prepare it. Quinn turned back to face Leonad. I hope you will not have such a heavy heart on my wedding day, dear friend. Leonad smiled slightly. Moradaya entered the far end of the hall with some servants following her. She issued some orders and they quickly became busy arranging various items in the hall. Moradiah, come and greet our friend Leonad. She approached them with all the grace of a queen. She was very beautiful. Leonad bowed and lightly kissed the hand she offered him. Hello, Leonad. Her voice was appealing and slightly lower in tone than most ladies'. She smiled and dropped her gaze to Leonad's feet. Then she slowly brought her eyes up to meet his. Leonid blushed slightly. My lady, he said with a nod. She made him uncomfortable in more ways than one. I trust you are enjoying yourself, she asked. How could one not enjoy all the celebration that surrounds us? Leonid said. "'I must be on my way, however. "'I am due for a lesson with the knights. "'We shall see you tomorrow, then,' Quinn said. "'On his way out of the palace, "'Leonad passed two of Lady Moradiah's personal knights. "'He nodded a greeting, "'but they only glared at him in return. "'They were fierce-looking men. "'Life was about to change in Chessington.' Leonard could feel it. The pomp and ceremony of the next day were beyond anything the people had ever experienced. The knights of Chessington were dressed in their regal apparel, and the ladies wore gowns that were the envy of country wildflowers. (laughs) And the ladies wore gowns that were the envy of country wildflowers. Even Tess wore a beautiful gown that framed her true beauty. For most, the day was a celebration of grand proportions. The wedding was grandiose and took place in the early afternoon. Afterward, the palace, the square, and most of the city were filled with music, dancing, food, and drink. In the palace hall, the celebration continued for hours, and Leonad did his best to appear celebratory. Toward evening, he left the hall to search for some solitude. He passed four of Lady Moradiah's knights and three giggling young ladies. The effects of strong wine enticed them to folly. Leonad found some retreat in the palace garden. His smile faded and the heaviness he was fighting returned. A few moments later, his thoughts were interrupted by a familiar, gentle voice. What is bothering you, Leonad? Tess gracefully walked toward Leonad. He turned to greet her and suddenly became aware of how beautiful she was. It was rare to see her wearing such an elegant gown. Her long hair was loosed from the braid she usually wore, and it flowed freely around her shoulders. Though she was not primped and fitted with expensive jewelry like the rest of the ladies, she did not need it. The kindness and loyalty in her heart radiated more beauty than any exterior ornamental trappings. For a moment, Leon had felt strange inside. You look beautiful, Tess, he said, somewhat dazed. Tess blushed and lowered her eyes. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, he stammered. It's all right, Leonid, thank you, she said and gently touched his arm. Are you all right? Leonid looked away. No, Tess, I can't shake this feeling of dread. Something is wrong. I don't trust Moradiah or her knights. Yes, I feel it too, Tess said. But what can be done? I don't know. I've talked to Quinn a number of times, but I'm afraid he has become blinded by his love for Moradiah. She makes me feel the most uncomfortable of all, Tess said with a slight scowl on her face. Leonid felt reaffirmed by Tess, but he did not like to see her as troubled as he was. Say, I haven't had the pleasure of dancing with you yet. May I? He held out his arm for her. She smiled and took his arm. I'd be delighted. On their way back to the hall, the four knights of Morabiah accosted them. "'Hey, pretty lady, why don't you come and spend some time with us?' one asked in a repulsive manner. The others laughed. "'Watch your manners, gentlemen,' Leonid said. "'We'll do as we please with you or the lady,' the knight said, emboldened by the wine in his blood and the number of his friends. They reached for their swords." Leonid stepped between the men and Tess. Your words dishonor the lady, the code, and the king. Your code and your king we do not have, nor do we want. But give us the lady, and you may pass without feeling the steel of our swords. They began to draw their swords, but before the tips had cleared their scabbards, Leonid's swords was out at the throat of the leader. Shock was on his face for the speed at which Leonad responded to their threat. The four of them froze with swords half-drawn. Return your swords and disband, or your friend will find it difficult to swallow any more wine, Leonad said. The leader nodded slightly against the sharp edge of Leonad's blade. And the others backed away and disappeared down the hall. Leonad withdrew his sword from the throat of the man, but did not sheath it. The man scowled at Leonad and retreated down the hallway. Leonad turned and faced Tess. There was no fear in her eyes, just deep concern. The problem with wearing a gown is that it clashes with the sword she said. In the great hall, speeches and toasts were being offered. Quinn offered one to the everlasting love he had for his new bride. He encouraged her to speak a toast of her own. The city of Chessington is truly a great city, she said. Acclamations of, Hear, hear! rang throughout the hall. And I am honored to be part of your noble heritage. Your Lord, my husband. Moradiah reached for Quinn, and he took her hand with a smile on his lips. Is the greatest Lord in the entire kingdom. More acclamations followed. She reveled in the praise. Together, we We'll build a kingdom that will span from coast to coast. My knights will join yours, and the power of Chessington will be unmatched by any army in history. Her voice rose in volume to bring emphasis to her words. I will be queen, and Quinn will be king. All of the people in the hall rose to their feet in cheers. Roused by the spirited words of Moradiah, Quinn stood with his new wife, and they raised their hands in self-glorification. No! came the powerful voice of one man. Quinn, this is blasphemous! Leonid shouted above the rest of the noise. The hall became hushed. And Moradiah's beautiful face turned to fierce anger at his rebuttal. There is only one king in tray. All of Leonid's restraint was broken by Moradiah's words. His zeal for the code and for the king empowered his words and thoughts. The knights of Moradiah do not follow the code, nor do not and do not serve the king. To join them to us is against all we believe in and work for. Moradiah's anger turned to rage. My knights are mighty and strong. They do not need the code to build an empire for us, and they can quiet your insolent tongue as well. Quinn tried to soothe both Leonid and Moradiah, but to no avail. Bring your best to the square tomorrow, Leonad said. Let the people judge whether the king's sword is able to overcome the treachery of your knights. They will be there, Moradiah exclaimed. Leonad and Tess left the hall as Quinn tried to recapture the festive spirit of the wedding celebration. Leonad paused on the steps outside the palace and looked at its magnificent structure. Tess stopped beside him. Fury was in his eyes. For the love of a woman, he has turned his back on the king and the code, Leonad said. Now he leads the people astray as well. The golden days of Chessington are over, Tess. Darkness fell upon Chessington that night. It was a darkness that would eventually fill the lives of all. Okay, kiddos, that is the end of chapter six. And let me see how long chapter seven is. Just one second here. Okay, it is a long one, so we're just going to stop here for tonight. I'm going to pace ourselves so we can keep going, but not get burned out so i love you kiddos hope you have a great night's sleep and have a great day at church tomorrow and i don't know if you guys are doing sunday lunch bunch or not but anyways oh yeah i think you are anyways tell everybody said hi all right love you kiddos i'll be praying for you catch you later bye-bye
0: For those who believe, may you grow from a seed Into a strong, fruitful tree As the days unfold, hold your breath to see Life is a mystery Rough the steep The love will make you day